This is Jim Harmer, and you're listening to the Improved Photography Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast this week. We have some great topics for you this week, and today we have Brian Pex and Rusty Parkhurst on the line. Hey, guys. Hey, Jim. Hey, Jim. How's it going? Well, all three of us uh, shoot primarily landscape and nature, outdoor kind of stuff, photography. And so that's going to be the thrust of our episode today. In the first half, we're going to talk about taking unique photos, things that other people really haven't done before. Uh, And in the second half, we are, or I'm sorry, in the first half, we're going to talk about time-lapse photography and some great techniques to help you on your way. And in the second half, we're going to talk about uh, taking photos that others haven't before. So, uh, we've been talking on the podcast pretty frequently, uh, as of late about time-lapse photography, uh, I think, uh, because it's become my secret love, not so secret love (laughs) is (laughs) time-lapse photography. Uh, Rusty, you wrote an article about this called 13 Surefire, uh, time-lapse photography tips. And a lot of the information we're going to talk about today uh, is similar to that post. So be sure to check out that post if, uh, if you're, uh, if you're listening, but I wanted to ask you first, Rusty on that post, you have a, a video, uh, just a 26 second time-lapse, uh, that you took and it's nuts. It's crazy. <laughs> awesome. Uh, tell us about that time-lapse and how you got it. So yeah, that time-lapse was kind of, a little bit lucky, a little bit of luck went into that, uh, that storm that went through near where I live just happened to pass to the North of us, but uh, and just produced just a just incredible amounts of lightning. It was just amazing, an amazing light show. Uh, it never did rain where I was, so I was able to stay out uh, outside of the storm itself, just kind of at a distance, and shoot from from my house. Actually, I just had the camera pointed pointed to the north, and I had um, I was using a uh, intervalometer to um, capture the, the images. And so, and then, so there's lightning going on. I was wondering about what you, what your camera settings are. Um, because, you know, the lightning is going to be so bright, it's going to overexpose those images. What, what did you do for that? Yeah, if, I think if you notice, whenever there's no lightning going on, which is actually, I think that most of the time in the, during the video, there was lightning, but whenever there isn't any, it's pretty dark. The images are pretty dark. Uh-huh. So my, my exposure was mostly um, aimed at capturing the lightning at the correct exposure. Uh-huh. Uh, when just letting the rest of it kind of go where it went. Do you um, remember by chance what your shutter speed was? Uh, I think I was shooting at 30 seconds and, uh, okay, 30 seconds. So you're getting as much lightning, as many strikes as possible. Yeah. I was leaving that shutter open as long as I could just to capture as much as I could possibly capture. Uh, so I had my, I don't remember off the top of my head. I think I had my ISO pretty low, maybe four or 800 and, uh, an aperture of F 5.6 or eight, I believe. Okay, that's a little that. bit brighter than yeah. I would have guessed because I, I was actually wondering about this. I haven't shot any time-lapse with lightning in it, and I'd love to. And, uh, you know, you kind of get one shot at a time-lapse, you know, it'll take you half an hour or more. And so I don't want to mess up the camera settings. So I thought, I better ask him and get <laughs> see how he did that because I, I wouldn't be quite sure how to approach it. I'm seeing that for the first time, that summer thunderstorm. What a be- oh, That's great. That's amazing right there. Great Thanks. job. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> 
I was pretty, pretty pleased with that. And I liked how, well, obviously I liked how there was so much lightning, but you could also see, um, uh, as the storm passed by, you could see some planes going through this, yeah. through the frame. Yeah. They look like and shooting then, stars. Yeah. Yes. It's pretty cool. Great. Yeah. That's, uh, that's awesome. Really came out, came out, uh, exceptionally well. Uh, so 13 tips, I, I guess we can kind of, uh, kind of, uh, trade off here. Uh, the tip that I learned, um, the hard way shooting in Zion national park, I guess it's been two weeks ago now, um, is just to spend a lot of time before you start your time lapse and just think through everything that could go wrong during the time lapse. Uh, I bet I ruined 10 different time lapses that week uh, just with so many random things the battery in the in the intervalometer stops the battery in the camera dies the battery in the slider dies the other battery in the slider dies uh, a cable gets caught in the slider wheel um, you know you're You've decided you've made too much of a ramp, and the slider uh, motor isn't quite powerful enough to go halfway through. You bump the tripod. There are just so many ways to mess up a time lapse, and it's so frustrating because you know you've been there sometimes for two hours. You know you you're taking a two hour time lapse, and then forty five minutes into it, you just barely nudge the tripod. It's over. Oh. <laughs> it's done. There goes forty five minutes of work. Uh, so just set up everything, think through everything that could go wrong first and then start it and walk away. Try, you know, step several steps away from it. Um, it there are just so many ways to mess it up and I, I seem to find all of them. <laughs> yeah, Rusty did a great job. I don't know how you avoided that storm. It seemed to come close to you and then just stay away. That's the other thing. You could get soaked in a, in a storm. Good point. Such as that uh, lightning that you got, you know? Yeah, yeah. I I just happened to get lucky. It just kind of skirted us to the north of north of where I live. So it never did come far enough south where I was actually in the storm itself. Um, so a little bit of luck goes into that, yeah, that as well. That was basically the perfect storm for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I was asking you about the, the shutter speed because uh, that's really important. And it's kind of tricky when you're taking a time lapse is knowing what that interval should be. Um, you know, if you're shooting something very fast moving, you know, you're in Iceland where it seems like the clouds are always like, you know, 200 yards up in the sky and they're just flying right up, right, right above you really quick. You know, then maybe you want an interval of two seconds uh, there. And if, you know, you have really high clouds, very slow moving, you know, maybe you can get away with a four second, five second uh, interval there or with stars, you know, maybe our, our interval is even longer. So knowing not only the shutter speed, but how long between pictures uh, really is something that I, I think you just have to kind of get a, a, a feel for, but uh, makes a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for that time lapse, I was shooting with about a three, two to three second interval between each shot. Uh, everything was moving pretty fast. That storm was going by at a pretty, pretty good clip. So I wanted to make sure I was able to capture that. But you're right. If, if, if you got a little bit slower moving uh, objects through the through the frame, that you can definitely uh, have a longer interval between each shot. One thing that kind of surprised me as I've been shooting is um, like when I'm taking a a time lapse of you know uh, a 
a waterfall, for example. Uh, at first, I thought, man, I'm going to need a really fast interval because, you know, you have one, we'll call it a chunk, a chunk of water falling on a spot, and you don't want it to look like just random stuff going on everywhere. You want to see the flow. And so if your interval is too slow between the shots, I thought it's not going to show the flow of that water. But I found that even a, you know, even a three-second interval uh, when shooting a waterfall actually turned out just fine. And I'm not quite sure how that works, but... But yeah, it looks normal. It looks like it's just flowing uh, normal water. Does that make sense? I, 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 I'm not quite sure how it works, but it, it looks fine. Yeah, I've never tried shooting a, a time lapse of a waterfall. That would be pretty interesting. I know, to Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. You would think it would be like a standard, like an iPhone picture, you know, just that frozen water. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I wonder why it would uh, be nice and smooth that like, like, like that, like you're saying. It's strange. Yeah, I, I guess just running them together i guess water kind of falls in similar patterns you know uh so anyway it worked really well i I (laughs) wasn't quite sure what i was going to get when i was shooting some of those waterfalls but it turned out great cool Uh, i'll have to try that another tip that you had in your article uh rusty was to select the music before shooting the time lapse I really, really like that. Uh, I did that before I headed headed to Zion. Uh, things changed a little bit while I was there. You know, uh, you don't always know, are you going to get this epic, dramatic, angry scene and you need music to match that? Or are you going to get, you know, this beautiful, uh, you know, frilly blue sky, clouds moving kind of time lapse. Uh, but I, I did find that I, I went through, I spent like an hour on the service that I use for... Uh, for audio, um, I use shoot. What's it called? Uh, I always forget the name. Artlist, Artlist.io is one of them, and the other one is Storyblocks. They're both really good, uh, and we link to uh-huh. those uh, in that article. Um, but I went through and I selected. Uh, actually, I selected three different songs that I just really liked. I thought they'd fit really well with a time lapse video. And then as I was out shooting, I found that really helped because I could kind of picture. Oh, okay. There's this one, you know portion of the song where it's like really heavy really angry part of the music and they're all like quick four second clips and so when i was out there and there was that really angry sky i said you know this is going to go in that part so i don't have to shoot real long this can be like four second clips i can set up the tripod for 10 minutes get a get a four second time lapse and then go to a different spot in another different spot and so i was able to take advantage of that angry sunset that one that we got uh, because i knew about that segment in the music and it was really cool helpful for that Awesome. That's a, that's a tip that I, that tip was something that I needed. Uh, it's one of those cases where I need to practice what I preach a little bit more. <laughs> um, I, I say that you should select your music and put, you know, before you do your time lapse, but I quite often do it the opposite way, or I don't even put any music to the time lapse at all, which just kind of makes it just a dull video at times. Mm-hmm. So, so, so for that, that storm, uh, time lapse, um, it's just a short clip. It's only 26 seconds total. Um, but if I was to select some music for that, I think I'd want something with uh, some pretty dramatic ups and downs with to match kind of the lightning strikes. Yeah. I, 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 I like I was saying before we uh, started recording here, I'm not very familiar with uh, time-lapse photography. So I'm kind of like the guy that's sitting in the back right now. But it's funny you say that because often like all day during work while I'm out delivering mail, 
<laughs> I, uh, I hear different music and I automatically have sometimes like these time lapse thoughts in my head. So maybe that that's actually sounds very good. But yeah, I, I totally see what you mean by that. Yeah, I, I think time lapse has got to got to go to music or or be part of some larger work. Uh, I mean, you have an uh, that's an awesome time lapse uh, the of the lightning, but you know it, it's one piece. Very few people are yeah. just going to go watch one one time yeah. lapse shot. Uh, you know, Absolutely. you want to see it. You want to see something together. Um, and so, but but it's cool because. Un, unlike uh, photos that, you know, you kind of see it and it's been seen uh, with time lapse. What I'm realizing is, man, I can go shoot all these different time lapses and kind of have my library and you can cut them together different ways. You know, you, you do a time lapse of Southern Utah and then, ooh, but I had that one cool angry storm in there. And then next year uh -huh. you get 10 other angry storms and you can just toss that one clip in a different one later. And so if you, you know, really are just shooting a, a good portfolio of time lapse clips, uh, you eventually won't have to spend, you know, three months getting enough time lapses to to put together a new video you can kind of cut things together and i don't know if everybody's gonna remember every single shot you've ever done uh, if it's repeated <laughs> yeah. in a video that's a great point actually that's a very very good idea i yeah yeah they're, ah, they're just so cool and you can use them in so many ways and time lapses sell very well uh as stock uh it's just it's more difficult to get it's a it's a little bit trickier to get a time lapse than something else and so there's a little bit of a barrier to entry uh, not as many people have been doing it so they i think i find they sell very well yeah I, sh I shot that one back i think it was in july when i shot that and i waited the rest of the summer hoping to get some more uh storms to go through and lightning to uh do some more time lapses to kind of uh piece together with that one but it never did happen <laughs> and also the video stock seems to uh uh, demand a higher price i would imagine much higher yeah like, exactly like 20 times more <laughs> a lot more <laughs> yeah. than a photo uh, using a backup camera is something that i am really missing right now uh, right now i have one body i have not had just one <laughs> body in years it's been oh, so Jim, long since i've been in that, that situation <laughs> i have ah it's killing me especially with time lapses because like i said it can take hours and so yeah. if you set one up it would be really nice to you know set one up and then walk 50 feet to a kind of a different composition and shoot another one at the same time but i have one body right now and it's killing me because <laughs> i bought the sony a7r2 and I, i'm gonna be buying whatever they have in store for us whatever the successor <laughs> is called the a7r3 the a9r whatever we're gonna call it um but it looks like and it, everyone thought at the time that i got the a7r2 that the successor would be coming out pretty soon. And I just wanted to get it a little bit, you know, sooner to kind of get used to the system a little bit. Uh, but now it looks like that isn't going to happen until the start of 2018 uh, to get the A7R3. And so I'm just <laughs> tying with one camera body. That's yeah, really dangerous. That's really dangerous for you, Jim. Yeah, he's with some, with some of the luck you've had. <laughs> it Jim's is dangerous. Broken camera soon. Uh, but I don't want to buy something else because I know I'm going to be getting the A7R3. So uh, I'm a little bit stuck right now. Uh, yeah, the, the reason I put that in there is well, that's basically what it says. There, uh, time lapses really, really take a toll on your shutter. You're just opening yep. that or starting up, starting the camera and letting it roll for hours at a time taking shot after shot after shot so using the backup camera is not a bad idea just 
I'd rather burn up the shutter on a on a less expensive backup camera or one that I'm not you know using all the time rather than the, my primary body. Yeah, yeah. I would imagine uh, when you're doing lots of time lapse to get to that like some cameras the 150,000 mark you can get there very quick. You can yeah. get there very yeah. quick. Yeah. <laughs> I I usually just bring my MacBook Air with me when I travel to edit the photos and it has a 500 gig internal SSD drive and usually that's fine. I'm not going to take 500 gigabytes of photos uh, even in a <laughs> major 10 day trip where I'm just shooting constantly. I'm not even going to come close to that. Uh, shooting, shooting time-lapse on day one, I imported, it was fine. Second day I put in my SD card and it said hard drive full. And I thought, no way, that's not possible. I just, I just emptied this before I came and I thought, oh yeah, sure, sure enough. <laughs> and it was totally full. Uh, so I just put everything on cards and I just kept the cards in my ca- card wallet and uh, emptied when I got home. I shot 17,000 photos in a week oh, uh, and wow. 17,000 raw files from an A7R2. Yeah. Oh wow. yeah. <laughs> it's going <laughs> to fill up your drive so fast. So- um, it's it's so crazy. What size uh, cards are you using, Jim? I almost always use the 128s now, 128 gig. I have some 64s and a couple 32s still in my wallet, but uh, I almost always shoot the 128 gig now. Yeah, you almost need that with that higher resolution. I'm still Actually, shooting. I'm still shooting the um, the the 5D Mark III and then my Fuji XT1. So those files are a little bit smaller and a little yeah. bit easier to deal with. <laughs> this, yeah. this brings up a good point about the new uh, Nikon D850, how you can have the uh, smaller raw files. Mm-hmm. for uh, If you're doing a time-lapse, that would be an ideal situation to use that feature in that camera. So that be, might be something to think about if someone's getting into that camera, if you can ever actually get it. Uh-huh. <laughs> the way it's being sold right now. Yeah, I and I used to shoot time lapses in JPEG for the same reason. I used to shoot medium JPEG uh, for right. time lapses. And, you know, that works fine. Really, I want the flexibility to be able to edit these and make something epic. And so I'm just mm-hmm. going to want to shoot in RAW anyway. Now, most cameras have a small RAW option. But I never, ever, ever use it because I will never, ever, ever remember to disable it the next time I go out and shoot. I always forget every time. That's happened to me, except I was shooting in JPEG and forgot to change it back to RAW. Oh, no. (laughs) So annoying. (laughs) It is annoying. Uh, And it's it's just not one of those camera settings that I think to check because it's always on RAW. And so, I mean, it can go on for (laughs) the, you know, it could go for a whole 10-day shoot and I wouldn't even notice because I just, I don't check that setting. It's always on RAW. That's something they could put into the firmware when you turn it back on. Are you sure you want to be shooting? <laughs> oh, I would love that. How, how, hard, how hard would that be to implement, right? Yeah, it seems like it. <laughs> uh, getting comfortable shooting longer uh, is definitely something that I am learning. Um, as I have shot a lot of time lapses and I'm putting those together into short films now, uh, films, uh, videos now, um, <laughs> it's rare that I say, oh man, I just shot that way too long. I didn't need to stay out there for two hours. Almost (laughs) every time I I get it back and I'm like, oh, could I not have waited 10 more minutes? I could have used a little bit more length in this clip because sometimes, you know, you took an hour long time-lapse and you do the math and you say, okay, I took an hour long time-lapse. There was a 15 second interval, whatever it is, however many images that is, 
uh, divided by 30 because 30 frames per second in uh, in the video and you say oh this is a 20 second time lapse that's plenty long i don't need more than 20 <laughs> seconds for this single time lapse and then you go to edit it and you say "Ooh, but there wasn't that much motion i would kind of like to speed up this clip uh and make it just a five second um but then it's still a little bit too short you know if you're speeding it up so it, shoot too long you really can't shoot too mm -hmm. long of a time lapse because you can always cut it when you go to edit and you can always speed it up even more uh, so shooting long really helps yeah, I agree totally. It seems like every time I get back to the computer with my time-lapse sequence, inevitably it's always shorter than I would have liked it to be. Mm -hmm. So definitely just let the camera go. Just find, you know, take a, a stool, find somewhere to get comfortable, let the camera do its thing, and and uh, just d definitely shoot more than you think you're going to need. Yep. You no, there's <clears throat> nothing, doesn't going to hurt, isn't going to hurt anything to shoot too long. Just now, stay away from that camera and don't bump into it. Yes, which is yeah. <laughs> difficult if you need to change the camera settings during uh, during the shoot. I am not quite sure how else to get uh, get away from this other than just very carefully and gingerly touching the camera <laughs> when you need to move things. Um, Would the cam ranger be good for something like that, maybe? Well, I'm not sure. Um, the way it works on the A7R2 is... When I have the, when I have an intervalometer plugged in, it mm -hmm. kind of it like locks you out of the camera settings, and I can't oh, change hmm. the camera settings when there's an interval happening. Uh, it's like the camera is kind of locked, waiting for that next picture to happen, and so I have to turn off the intervalometer, change the camera settings on on there, and then turn it back on. I don't know if I have the intervalometer set with a cam ranger or something like that. If it would let me change the settings, uh, I I don't know, but I know that Can if I just plug in a regular old intervalometer it won't let me change camera settings between shots can you mm. do us a favor the next time you're doing that can you record yourself i'd love to see how delicate you are around the camera while you're <laughs> tiptoeing like yeah, a ginger flower <laughs> <laughs> i didn't have that same problem though uh when i shot nikon didn't have that same problem when i shot canon um i can't remember for sure on fuji though most cameras you can change the camera settings even though an intervalometer is going but the hmm. sony yeah. is not letting me yeah on my fuji i can change the settings of course all the dials most of the dials are right on the outside of the camera yeah so it, it'll change uh whenever i need it to yeah and and that's the nice thing like the fuji you know you, it can't stop you <clears throat> from twisting the lens barrel <laughs> for the aperture setting <laughs> you know so that's nice um, showing shadow movement is another uh, tip that I thought was really cool. Uh, a lot of times I was shooting during the day and uh, sometimes there were no clouds in the sky. So no clouds in the sky. You want to shoot, uh, shoot a time lapse to, to use uh, your daytime. Uh, and I just thought, man, what am I going to shoot to show some kind of movement? Because <laughs> if you just shoot, you know, mountain it will just look like a still image. <laughs> it will look like, yeah. <laughs> unless something's moving, uh, you know, you got to find some kind of motion. And so uh, if you shoot a really long time lapse, I mean, you got to get comfortable. It's going to be, you know, three hours, depending on the time of the day. Um, but just as the sun moves down and, you know, you're shooting with a rock in the foreground or something, and you just see that shadow going across the, across the landscape, it can be a, a great, 
uh, object of movement. So think outside of the box. It's not just about stars and clouds. You know, usually we're thinking time lapses, stars moving or clouds moving. But there's so much more if you just kind of pay attention to what's happening in nature. Just kind of sit there and think about what is moving over the next hour. Uh, and you can find some kind of out of the box uh, movement in nature that could be cool in a time lapse. Absolutely, yeah. I, yeah. I saw a really nice one a long time. No, I can't. Maybe a couple of years ago, it was a time lapse where the, there were these long pine trees or uh, evergreens. And they, it was from the morning till night. And they the, the shadows kind of like swept from right to left. It was perfectly done. It was basically for the shadows was this the purpose of this time lapse. And it was very well done. Great. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and that, that was kind of my plan for the, the solar eclipse that we just had back in August. I was going to oh. set up a camera to do a time lapse to show the shadow movements across the land. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Of course, of course, where I live, we were right on the path of totality. I woke up that morning. It was completely cloudy. Uh -huh. So by the uh -huh. time I got to where it was clear, I didn't really have time to, to uh, set that up. So 2024, that's going to be my approach to the, that's the next one. To the uh, eclipse though, because I was just so impressed with the quality of light on everything. It was just so oh, unique. You can't see was. that quality of light any, any other time. Uh, it just felt like I was walking on Mars or something. Just the light was so <laughs> weird. Uh, I I'd like to just shoot photos and just focus on the shadows and highlight yeah. in the landscape and not even worry about getting the sun itself. Uh, yeah. It was absolutely amazing. Yeah, well, I've never seen anything quite like that. Because we, you know, you never have enough uh, clip shots, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, one thing I wanted to mention uh, real quick is the Rhino Rove is on Kickstarter today, and it uh, looks really interesting. Um, it's a two hundred. I think it's two fifty. Uh, $250, very basic, but totally integrated um, time-lapse slider. Uh, I've mentioned the Rhino slider that I have and, and uh, a couple of the writers on Improved Photography have as well. Um, it, you know, it's a $2,000 system, essentially. You know, 15, you can get them for $1,000 if you want to just get basic accessories, but... If you want to get all the accessories and everything, you're going to be spending 2000 um, bucks. But this Rhino Rove is $250. It's totally integrated, one piece, which is my complaint about the major, the big boy Rhino slider. Um, and this works fine with a, a lighter mirrorless camera, something like that. Uh, they're showing it with the A7S II. Um, and it looks pretty neat. Uh, so if you're interested in getting into time lapse, Boy, this looks like a good option for you. You know, 250 bucks and it's 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 pretty good. You know, you can shoot time lapse without any slider. Just put it on the tripod, but oh man, it really kicks it up a notch if you can get a little movement. So if you're interested in getting started, ooh, I might jump on this Kickstarter. Looks pretty cool. Yeah, I'm just looking at that now. It looks like they come in a couple of different uh, lengths as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. I'm, I'm on the fence. I don't know if I'm going to buy one or not because I have their expensive system, but I think, oh man, this would be kind of cool. I could just chuck this in my bag, you know? Um, <laughs> oh, oh, this is definitely know. something I'm going to buy right here. <laughs> I didn't even know about this until <laughs> just now. This is beautiful. When I woke up this morning, I thought, how could I waste 300 bucks of Pex's money? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's every podcast. Um, mission accomplished. <laughs> oh All right. In the second half of the podcast, we're going to talk about how to take unique photos that nobody else has. But before that, we want to take a second and thank our sponsor. 
This episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. HelloFresh makes farm-to-box great recipes delivered right to your doorstep. They take fresh ingredients, put it in an insulated, recyclable box, and they'll take it right to your doorstep. When our first box arrived that they sent for me to try out, I was a little skeptical because I'm not great in the kitchen, I'll be the first to admit. But my wife said, all right, we've got to try this. Let's see Let's see what it's like. And you know what? It was a lot of fun. They had different ingredients, things that I'm not used to using in, in recipes. And so it just made it a little bit more of an experience to cook something. And the recipe was really great. They sent you a really nice recipe card so that you can make it again as, as often as you want. Most of the meals take 30 minutes to, to make, and they really just require you know minimal equipment, basic stuff to, to make your meals. They source fresh ingredients with the exact quantities you need, so there's no waste at all. And they have light fall meals and have just introduced breakfast options. Delicious ingredients you'll love to eat. Simple recipes you'll live to cook. Get cooking for less than $10 a meal. For $30 off your first week of deliveries, visit HelloFresh.com and enter Improve 30 when you subscribe. Give it a try. Today's episode is brought to you by Canon. You may love Canon cameras and have known Canon for that, but also they have some really incredible training available for you. You can join Canon and some of the top portrait photographers in a city near you. Canon Explorers of Light will guide you through the step-by-step process of refining your style, telling a story, and building relationships with and posing your subjects, mastering technical skills, and marketing your talents. Each instructor will demonstrate the gear they love to use and how to get the very best results with your gear, whatever gear you own. They'll also show you little-known tricks that you can use to get the best performance out of your camera, optimizing light, and getting stunning portraits. In addition to a day with, a, with learning from a Canon Explorer of Light, you'll get exclusive discounts on Canon portrait gear, PDF guides, and online class discounts, a chance to touch and try the latest Canon cameras, as well as your tech questions answered by an on-site Canon expert. Register now and learn more at canon.us slash learnportraits. That's canon.us slash learnportraits. All right, I am tired of recreating uh, other people's photos, and I want to take some <laughs> new stuff. Uh, so w- what has worked for you guys when you're out shooting landscapes to do something truly unique that nobody else has? That's a tough one. Seems like it seems like in the in today's world, everything has been photographed. Um, what I look for when I go out is, try to find a different perspective on things um, instead of just going to where everybody else is standing and setting my tripod up in the, in the tripod holes that someone else left behind. Uh, try to find a different location or a different perspective, maybe shoot at a different angle, uh, maybe a completely different uh, direction um, just to show, show, to show the, the scene in a completely different uh, view or different light. It may be an, it could still be an iconic location, but maybe a completely different, just a completely different angle at it. Um, Tough to do. Probably, probably all the iconic, all the iconic locations have probably been shot from about every different angle there is, but yeah, um, but it's worth a try. 
I yeah. think that's one of the main reasons why drone photography has become so popular because it automatically gives you a different perspective, one that you didn't have before because nobody had a 75-foot-tall tripod. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, uh, I mean, that alone. But yeah, I, I when I first got into photography, that was one of my uh, initial concerns. I'm like, you know, you go to 500px, you say, okay, that image, yep, that's that image, but it's just a different sky. He's over to the left a little more. She's over to the right a little more. And it's just, you know, so it's really nice to get out and just try it. When you find a nice little location that you know no one else has photographed or at least posted it other than a cell phone shot on uh, online, you feel like, well, look at this. I have my little corner of the world that no one else knows about mm-hmm. for now. But that doesn't uh-huh. usually last too long. <laughs> especially with apps like Jim's new. uh, (laughs) Yeah. And speaking of that, uh, I wanted to give a shout out, shout out to Luke Collins. Um, I don't know Luke, but I owe something to Luke because I was in Zion National Park again uh, a couple weeks ago, and that's an area that, that I know very, very well. I've, I've spent a lot of time in Zion shooting, uh, and there are just some incredible, beautiful areas there. Um, but I had never shot. Uh, he found this really cool spot behind a stable in the Court of the Patriarchs that it is gorgeous i mean it's absolutely beautiful like this should be the postcard shot of zion national park and nobody was there nobody's there nobody knows about this spot there are literally hundreds of people lined up uh to get the shot of the watchman um and then uh, i saw this he added it to really good photo spots and i thought where the crap is that i have never seen that spot and you know some people have been there it's not like he was the only person that's ever been to this spot uh but i had never seen this um and it's like it's like a 10 minute bus ride from uh from the iconic shot of zion that literally hundreds of people are shooting uh and we went to this spot there's nobody there and it's just incredibly beautiful uh so i don't know it, it wasn't a shot that nobody has taken before obviously it had been taken before because that's how i found it uh mm. but uh <laughs> but it was new to me and it, i was really happy with it because it's not one of those postcard shots of zion uh and it was awesome so luke collins if you're listening I owe you one. Thank you. <laughs> That's a good point, Jim. Uh, even even if a, a place has been photographed before, if it's something that's if it's an area that's been photographed very little, uh, we can still go there and try to create the best photograph that's ever been taken there, and uh, you know we'd still have something pretty unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mentioned this on the episode I did with the <laughs> naked uh, pee drinking. <laughs> <laughs> hiker that i interviewed a couple weeks oh ago God, i'm only guy. kidding uh he was awesome i yeah oh, tom yeah, ward was, was awesome i was so glad to have him on the show he was awesome so bad for him he's torturing himself the poor guy dude was awesome <laughs> but but we mentioned in that uh in that episode the the sawtooths area of idaho um you know i went to glacier last year with some of the some of the some of the readers of the or listeners of the podcast and we had a great trip but part of me as i was going through i thought you know what the sawtooths of idaho nobody goes there because it's not a national park um uh, you know and a lot of people hike there and stuff but i just rarely see real quality professional photos from there and i think it's twice as beautiful as glacier you know it's uh it's not an unknown place a lot of people go there uh, but for photographers it's just not the kind of place that people 
typically go to. Uh, you know, you'll have a hundred times more people in Zion National Park or Glacier, etc. And it's it's stunning. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible there. So, you know, don't try to think about where has no one gone before because you probably will come up in empty-handed. Think about where do people go less often, but that's still beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that there's probably a lot more of those areas around than we think. Most people are going to go to the, the, the more easily accessible, uh, the more iconic locations where everybody wants to go. Uh, but just like you said, in the South Deuce and plenty of other areas, there's places where there's just not the crowds to deal with and there's not nearly as many people that go there. So it gives us a lot more opportunities to create unique images. Yeah, the, the world, as we all know, is a small place, but it's not that small. There are tons of areas that are not heavily photographed and uh, they're out there. We just have to find them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Iceland is a perfect example of this. When, when you go to Iceland, where do you go? All the spots along the ring road, and that's all I've ever been to. So I'm totally guilty of this. And it's it's just awesome because there's so many iconic spots right along the ring road. But the ring road just follows the coast all the way around. There's a lot of Iceland that doesn't happen to be on the ring road. You know, it's not like all the waterfalls just magically jumped along this road. Uh, <laughs> that's just they happen to be the ones that are known because they're right there. There's a lot of Iceland that's barely explored photographically. Uh, so finding those kind of areas is, is cool. For sure. Another thing that has been helpful for me is looking at other people's work, not, you're not, not closing your eyes to what other people are doing, but don't do the same thing that people are doing in the same places, you know, and trying to just recreate their shot, but look at the recipe of what made this photo successful. I've talked about this on, on the show before. Maybe one of my favorite photos I've ever taken, uh, is of a, a lake and there's a sunrise, uh, you know, we're looking into the sun, uh, and then there's this one tree like leaning over, uh, over the lake. I posted a photo in the Facebook group a, a couple months ago of uh, uh, my church posted, uh, uh, they printed this like 20 feet tall on a huge wall, mm. this photo. Yeah. Um, and the the way that I made that photo is I had seen a photo years before on the uh, on the Smug Mug website, uh, just one of their photos that they were showing. And it was kind of that recipe. It was a tree leaning over a little lake and stuff. And I have no idea where it was. It wasn't the same lake, same tree, same anything. Uh, but look, I would just, I remember as I was looking around the lake, uh, you know, it wasn't really anything special of a sunrise, but I saw that leaning tree and I thought, Ooh, I could do something here, you know? And so looking at other people's work and just remembering the recipe for how the composition worked or what kind of lighting it was, and then uh, you'll recognize it when you go out uh, to other unique places. Yeah, that was an awesome image, Jim. I really loved that. Thank you. That yeah, it definitely made for a church also. Fit perfect. Uh, yeah, very you know? serene. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The lights from above. <laughs> so whenever whenever I was starting out in photography, uh, I would look at other people's work, um, especially of the iconic locations like Mesa Arch or Delicate Arch or the Tetons. And then I would go try to copy those images to some degree to get just so that I could say that I took them for myself. Sure. But now, but now after, you know, after doing that, I'm more in the mode of wanting to create something new and different. Um, things where 
not maybe maybe not necessarily where nobody has been before, but something that just is a little bit different than what other people have created. So it's, I think it's just kind of a natural progression as we go along in our photography. Very cool. Yeah. And, you know, that's okay. It's all right to recreate things as you're learning. Uh, just like, you know, if you're a, a cook, you're going to start how by following other people's recipes to the T. And eventually you're mm-hmm. going to learn how you can ad lib and do things a little bit differently. Um, and same thing in photography, you're, you're learning by going to really solid, easy to get success places, uh, taking those shots, and then you can learn to, to recognize those patterns in nature and other places. Yeah. Yeah. We can apply what we learned there for other, for other locations. Yep. Well, uh, we are going to get to the doodads of the week, but before we do that, I want to mention something about improved photography plus, um, I, I'd hate to be too vague here, but I've just got to mention, I landed like one of the biggest names in photography, um, is going to be doing a tutorial for improved photography plus. I think it's going to be not till February that it comes out. It'll be a few months. Uh, but in January, I am flying to another country and we're going to spend three or four days together uh, making a very full length major feature tutorial. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> excited about it. Uh, so that's coming out in a couple months. Uh, we have the Lightroom Steel, which we're renaming to the Photography Steel coming up. And Improved Photography Plus members will, of course, be getting that. Uh, and I'm working on two... Well, I've, I'm almost done with a new tutorial called Landscapes in Motion, uh, which is uh, time-lapse photography and drone. It's motions of landscape. And I'm almost done with that one. And then that one's going to be coming up pretty soon. Uh, as well as lighting in a flash part two uh, for you flash and portrait photographers. So some really awesome stuff coming out to improve photography plus. And I just wanted to say it's about to get awesomer. (laughs) I'm really excited for it. That sounds sounds awesome. We need a hit on this photographer. (laughs) I thought it was Brian Pex. Uh, Well, Pex is an awesome photographer. Um, No, I can't give any hints right now, but it's, it's the most creative photographer, I believe, who is alive right now, doing stuff that nobody else is doing right now. Ah, I'm really excited about this one. I will, I will, uh, I will provide more information as it gets com- comes closer. But right now, I've got to be a little bit vague with it. All right, oh, uh, the doodads <laughs> of the week, Rusty. What do you have? Okay, so I bought this about eight months or so ago, right before the improved photography retreat in Arizona. Um, Speaking of, the, I know a couple guys who are going to be speaking at the Improved Photography Retreat this year in South Carolina. Who could that be? Um, I've heard Next of a couple year, names. Don't 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 rush it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. This this coming one anyway. Uh, yeah, Brian Pex and Rusty Parkhurst, you guys that are on the show with me right now, both of you guys are going to be speaking at the retreat. So I'm looking forward to having you guys. That's going to be fun. Be Can't great. wait. Winter will be over almost too. Great. I can't wait. <laughs> and tickets are still available for that at improvephotography.com slash retreat. All right, Rusty. Cool. <laughs> totally. I totally <laughs> hopped on you. You just mentioned retreat and I was like, whoop. Uh, oh, no problem. You got? No problem. So, so I've had a couple of different tripods since I started out in photography. The first one was just kind of a cheapie off of Amazon, which was okay, but just didn't quite cut it. And then I, then I bought a, one that was more hiking friendly on me photo tripod, which is, which was really good for the, the money and easy to hike around with. But I finally decided to take the plunge and to get 
a real quote unquote tripod, one that I know I'm going to have for a long time. So I got, I got after lots of research and recommendations from other photographers such as yourself and Nick Page and others, uh, got the uh, really right stuff. TVC 34L tripod. Um, a couple of things I really like is um, it has no center column, so I can get that tripod really low to the ground, which I really like to do a lot whenever I'm shooting landscapes to get a lower perspective. Uh, it's also extends really tall. So if I wanted to get a, a higher perspective or if I'm shooting on a slope, I can have a couple of legs going down the hill and one of them at a shorter length uphill and still keep it at eye level without any problem. Uh, plus, it's just a super stable tripod. Um, by far, I, I think it's something that I'm going to have for 20 years or for life. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know, but I don't expect to have to buy another tripod. But it does come at a price, uh, <laughs> without a doubt. Um, definitely something to factor in. Um, for the price of that tripod, I could have I bought a pretty nice lens for my camera. So <laughs> that was a tough tough pill to swallow, but I decided to go ahead and take that plunge and, and, and get the, get what I thought was going to be good for me. Um, so yeah, that's, and it is heavy. It's that tripod weighs just under five pounds, just the legs itself. Uh, it's not one that I'm probably going to be hiking around with and definitely not, definitely not on a longer hike. I'll take the smaller me photo or or a smaller tripod to do that with, but for something that I'm going to be pulling up to the car or for just a short hike in and out, um, that's hard to beat. Very cool. Pex, what do you got for us? Yeah. Well, last year at the retreat, you want to add something now, Jim? No, we're good. I'll let you, I'll <laughs> let that just fly by. Okay. I met Greg Benz and he was uh, doing a demonstration there for his Lumenzia panel. And not only was he a tremendously a very good guy down to earth. He's like a super genius Photoshop geek to the extreme. He is I mean, awesome. Talk, I love Greg. Oh, he, yeah, he's great. It's something we talk all the time. It's really good. I ask him a little question and he'll come back. I'm like, all right, Greg, that's way too much, but I guess it's better more than not enough. But anyone out, my dudad is the Lumenzia panel uh, that he offers that he sells. And it is the one tool in Photoshop. I mean, we have, you know, the, the lasso tool, uh, uh, whatever. whatever. You know, all the different tools in uh, Photoshop. But there is one that I consistently use on every single image. And it's not just for landscapes, cityscapes. It's for everything. And that is his Lumenzia panel. You just have to check it out. It's If you don't have it yet, get it. Trust me. And uh, it helps to learn Photoshop. Uh, beforehand, at least yeah. the basics of it. I agree with that. Lumenzia yes. is great, and I use it very frequently, but this is advanced Photoshop. If you're a beginner Photoshop, even intermediate Photoshop, it's going to be pushing your skills. Do this once you're very comfortable with Photoshop. Yeah, and that's the big mistake that I think a lot of people make when it comes with these uh, uh, these plug-in, uh, the luminosity panels, is people think, oh, I can create that with that panel because they see it listed in uh, maybe the description, you know, developed with Lumenzia. And what they don't realize is that it's only a tool that it's basically shortcuts to super speed because let's face it, to create lumen a luminosity mask, 
advanced uh, alpha channels and all that in Photoshop, doing it the long way, <laughs> you would be editing images for three or four hours mm -hmm. without a panel like that. So, I mean, if you're to the uh, lower advanced intermediate to, uh, I shouldn't say, I should say upper advanced, uh, upper intermediate to advanced, definitely get that panel. It is absolutely, uh, it's great. I love, I, I can't imagine not, I can't imagine not having that. I'm, I'm excuse me. It's getting late over here. In the <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine not having that with Photoshop. It is by far the most important tool in my digital tool bag. Very cool. Go. My recommendation is a simple one. It is Breakthrough Photography's QR plates. Uh, I rarely buy quick release plates anymore because I always get an L plate for my camera. Uh, but I needed quick release plates to put under my time lapse sliders uh, to hook, you know, the tripod to the slider. Um, and so I needed quick release plates from uh, there. So I just searched it on Amazon and I saw, oh, cool, Breakthrough Photography uh, now has some quick release plates. And they, what I liked about theirs is they come in three different lengths. And so depending on, uh, you know, how much stability you're going to need and the size of your ball head, you can get a quick release plate to match, you know, how long it is. Um, and so uh, it was really handy. So I got a really big one because, uh, you know, this is a heavy, heavy setup. So I thought that was handy. Cool. Well, uh, thank you guys for coming and uh, being on the show this week. I look forward to continuing to read your articles on improvephotography.com and to see you guys at the retreat. Uh, Rusty, where can people catch up with you guys with you online? You can catch me on my uh, website at www.rustyparkhurst.com or I'm also on Instagram. Just search my name there and you'll be able to find me there. Cool. Brian? <clears throat> I've made it nice and easy. Just Google Brian Pex and everything comes up. Awesome. Thanks you guys again, and we'll see you in another seven days. Thanks, Jim. <laughs>